since I put the net, right? Not, we're not talking about the internet, but the net. What are we talking about? So let me tell you this. Um, so there are a lot of times when I prepare these messages throughout the week, and the ideal situation is that, like I started on Tuesday, get into it some more on Wednesday, and I, and I have it all kind of like planned out by day. And then, um, you know, Thursday, Friday, and really right up until Sunday, just working on it. That's the ideal situation. But then you throw a one-year-old in the mix, and then you throw another job in the mix, and then you throw friends and family and birthdays, and, you know, stuff just changes. So I always stay pretty far ahead, though, and kind of have an idea as far as, like, where we're headed, like, because we want to get an idea as far as... So Matthew wrote this book, and God spoke through Matthew to write it, and for whatever reason, he, he chose Matthew, and there's something that he's trying to say through Matthew. There's an overarching vision or theme coming from Matthew, the Levite, the tax collector. And uh, this passage coming up, I was just really agonizing it over this week. I'm like, oh man, you know, I just, that's uncomfortable. I don't really want to talk like about that. And, you know, honestly, like I said, I was praying, I was like, you know, rather just skip that. Like, I like to talk about God's hope. Like His hope. We have hope in Jesus. Like He wants to transform our lives. He wants to work through us. So I, I want to talk about being a, bad, being a better man, being a better woman, better husband, a better wife, taking life to the new levels, talking about how in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Like That's good stuff. We want to talk about that hope and comfort and just, we need that. Because it's a pretty depressing world out there. The topic you don't want to talk about a lot of times is H-E double hockey sticks. You know, you don't, you don't want to talk about that one a lot. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know if you've noticed, but as you've gotten to chapter 13 in Matthew, H-E double hockey sticks, the subject of hell, right, it has come up, I want to say 12 times, believe it or not. And I, I, I've just sort of skimmed the surface and gone, not totally ignored it, but addressed it right where it is, but never really went into too much depth about it. Um, there's no getting around it this morning, because it's almost central, really, to what we're talking about. And so if Jesus, in the first 13 chapters, of course, he's Jesus, you know, meek and mild and wants to love, but a big message that he had, we heard at least 12 times, just from Matthew is this idea of eternity. And where are we going to spend eternity? It's like, uh, you know, he had these other messages, of course, how to be like what God has created to be, and how to be a better man, a better woman, and how, you know, the motives of your heart matter, and how that matters to God. Um, so, it's almost like, you know, the kids at school, you know, we, I, I tell them, you know, first day of class, say, hey, listen, at the end of this term, you need to know 65% of the material to move on to the next class. So I don't remember what, if you were in school what the failing grade was. Maybe it was a 50, maybe it was a 55. At the school I'm at, it's a 65. So you've got to know 65% of the material. That's essential bottom line. got to know that. You can't move on until we do that. And all throughout the class, uh, you know, we're trying to teach certain uh, note-taking skills, study habits, um, different ways to transform the way they think, critical uh, problem solving. All these kinds of things we're trying to develop and do all of that. And 
All that is good, but still, at the end of the day, the bottom line is they got to know 65%. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I have these other messages that pertain to your life on a daily, day-to-day basis. But there's also a bottom line message. And so that's what we're going to get to uh, this morning. And this bottom line message is certainly, uh, you know, extremely controversial. Uh, and it's actually very similar. Some of the wording you're saying is going to be similar to what we read before. So let's pick up in verse 47. What is Jesus talking about? So it says, once again, the kingdom of heaven, right? That's what we've been talking about. Basically, past like four weeks. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full... The fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So, the main thing that's been going on here, and we'll get into the details, but we can't miss like everything we talked about in chapter 13. The whole idea of chapter 13 was the kingdom of heaven. That's the whole idea. What the heck are we talking about? I don't know if you could give a good answer. Maybe I haven't done a good job explaining it the past month. Great teacher I am. I don't know. But, the kingdom of heaven. Right? Why do we need to know about that? What does it even really matter? I know that um, the few times that I do get to travel and go certain places... um, I'm very interested, certainly, in some of the tourist attractions, you know, the tourist parts... But there's like a big part of me that's almost sometimes like, you know what? Like, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of cool. Everybody goes there. But I'm really curious, like, how they live on a daily basis. Like, where do they go shopping? How do they make their food? Where do they go hang out? How do they travel from place to place? Are they in a scooter? Are they in a car? Are they in a bike? You know, like, where do they go to work? I'm curious in their day-to-day thing because it's so different all over the world. So their culture... It's kind of like what I'm really interested in. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand some kingdom culture. That's what he's trying to get to do. Understand some kingdom culture. Because this other place, it's not like a tourist attraction where you can go, hang out, check it out, and come back. It's just you go wherever it is, and then that's it. So Jesus is saying, what's going on at this kingdom culture? So why is he doing that? So number one, because hopefully we'll be there one day, we'll know what to expect. No surprises. So that, that's one reason why he wants to let us know about this kingdom culture. Number two, God is looking to work through each person, all of us, to bring this kingdom of heaven culture here on earth. Did you catch that? So he wants to bring the other culture, kingdom of heaven, bring that, right here on earth, through us. Why doesn't he just come down himself and just sort of make this his own kingdom of heaven thing, right? That's a pretty good question. Well, as you read and study through the Bible, 
you're going to come to find out and notice that Satan himself, he's not in hell right now. He's not there. Where he is, he's here. He's here right now. He's on earth. And if you want to check that, this week you can look at John chapter 12 or Luke 10, Isaiah 14. And basically what happened, you know, he was in heaven. He demanded worship. So did some other angels. And God said, you know what? You're out of here. Cast them out to the earth. And for right now, the prince of this world, as he is known, is really running around doing his bidding. Trying to get people to join him in the end, because he already knows the end story. And what God is trying to do, is he's trying to infiltrate, come into here, and bring some of, not all of, some of the kingdom of heaven here. And he's looking to do it through us. So, you might feel a little underqualified or inadequate. And that's okay, because the whole idea is we're trying to bring glory to him on the other side of that. It's almost like when you're in a relationship and you're with someone and so, you know, I'm from the Murphy kingdom and, and Julia's from the Anthony, you know, kingdom. And what happens is, you know, we come together and we bring our kingdoms, you know, together. So, like, I have a way that, you know, we do certain holidays and the way we, you know, uh, put dishes away and the way we store our food and the way we, you know, drive certain places and then she has her own things and then we bring these kingdoms together and the idea is to try and get that to work. And the greatest idea, or the goal, is to try and get it work in such a way where it's like so harmonious and beautiful that it brings like glory back to God. And other people are like, I know like how this goes. How is that going on with you guys? And then our kids see it and it's like, wow, this is different than other marriages. Than the you know, parents of my friends. And so we're trying to bring, so we have like this battle going on, this kingdom of heaven, right? And then we got this kingdom here on earth, which thankfully the Bible says it's just like a vapor. So if I had like a spray bottle up here, and I just sprayed it, and you saw it just for a second, like that's it. That's all we get here. Thank God for that, right? Like that's it. And it's kind of crazy to think like that. That's it. Spray bottle. Psh, Lysol. Psh, like that's it. It's but a mist, and then it's gone. Vanishes. So here's what we talked about so far. Kingdom of heaven. God's trying to bring it here. What does it look like? What does it do? Well, we talked about a few things. One is the wheat and the weeds. Remember we talked about that? He said the kingdom of heaven is like wheat and it's like weeds. That's what Jesus chose to pick. And so, the idea behind that parable is, listen, the kingdom of heaven is patient. It is patient. It knows. God knows. The kingdom knows. There's going to be counterfeit, fake Christians, fake believers, people who are purposely being hypocritical and being dishonest and doing the wrong thing and they're going to be right amongst us. And in that parable, Jesus said, hey listen, it's okay, we don't want to take out those weeds and get rid of the weed at the same time. We'll wait to the end and we'll harvest then. And similar language is used like to what we just read here, where there's going to be a separation and then this whole fiery furnace thing. So that was the first parable, describing patience. The second one was about increase and infiltration. That's another part of what the kingdom 
does and how it operates. And so increase the little mustard seed, right? We talked about the little mustard seed and how it doesn't look like too much. We talked about Spud Webb, right? Remember that? Five foot eight. He's got this long resume of what he has done and how God has worked through him. And in a lot of ways, like, in a spiritual one, we're like Spud, Spud Webb's status. I mean, or, or like worse, you know, and shorter and less talented. And a lot lower vertical. So, increase. Mustard seed, that's what the kingdom of heaven does. It also infiltrates, like yeast. It says it works its way through a whole batch. And so the idea is when we show up in a situation or in a place, what we have inside of us, God's love and what we bring, it actually infiltrates what's around us. And so, of course, that's not a popular idea today because many people say, you know, keep your religion to yourself. But like when you're operating... In the kingdom, it, it, it just flows out and just does that because it's above us. It's something outside of us. It's just working. We're just being obedient to let it. The third part that we talked about, which was last week, it says that the kingdom of heaven is invaluable. Remember, right? We talked about how you know we had the Powerball winners, and then we talked about people who just like stumbled upon treasure. Right? There's the treasure in the field and somebody stumbled upon it. And we talked about how in real day life, you know, somebody had the Declaration of Independence and uh, another guy had an expensive painting. And then we talked about pearls. And the idea behind that parable was that the exchange rate on the kingdom of heaven is totally incomparable. And in those parables, it said that they found this treasure, whether it be the pearl or the one they stumbled across, and they had everything that they've worked for, they've earned And we all know what it's like to work hard for a buck. Like, we know that. And so whatever little buck that you get, it means something. You want to hold on to that. Take care of that. It says that they had that. They joyously gave it away because they knew what they were getting in return. It's a big time parable right there. Invaluable. So the kingdom of heaven is patient. It does bring increase. It does infiltrate. It is invaluable. And this morning, we're going to learn that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is selective. It is selective. That is not a very popular word. It's more like closed-minded, unfair, uh, not popular words. And although maybe at times people who have use those phrases and words, um, may be right in a sense that they've seen people being hypocritical and not really living out what they preach. You can't really fight much on that. But at the same time, it could certainly also be used as just an excuse to do what they want to do. That's certainly a possibility. So it's pretty interesting. It says 32% of people believe in hell. The recent poll just came out. 75% believe in heaven. So... You can see where that's going. And honestly, most people completely disagree with the idea of God and hell. Completely disagree that that it's even there. And Jesus, like we said, he's been repeating that whole phrase, that whole idea of eternity. And he said it often. So, this net. What are we talking about here? Well, basically, when they used to go out, what they do is they'd be in the boat, they'd throw that big old net right there. This is something they're familiar with. When I go fishing, I don't go with a net. You know, we go with uh, poles. 
And I'll tell you what, right? A bad day of fishing is always better than a day at work, right? Fishing is awesome. I don't know about you, but I like it. And I have friends that hate it, but I like it. Um, it took a long time to get to. See, there's two stages. There's fishing and there's catching. I spent a lot of time fishing. Towards the end, I did some catching. Catching's fun. But even fishing is good too. You know, you get a chance to get away, unplug, you know, and, and just like be away or maybe be with uh, family or friends, you know, just kind of soak in what's going on around you and just like pause, you know, and reel in your spinnerbait or you have your worms sitting there, you know, and, and just kind of like unplug a little bit. I like fishing. It's enjoyable to me. I think I did it once this whole year. I'm going to force my son to just do it all the time. But fishing, the way they did it is they'd cast that in that, bring it all in. And that's what uh, Jesus is talking about in this parable. And he knows who he's talking to. There's half the uh, apostles were fishermen. So they knew what he's talking about. It was a popular trade. They knew about this. And it says when they cast the net out, they catch all kinds of fish. Fishermen pull it up, they collect a good, bad, throw them out. And what happens is the net is a parable. So it has all representations. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so that net is the gospel going out. That net is the gospel. And where it goes out into that sea, and all the you know, fish that's in there, that's us. That's the world right there. That's it. And there is this separation. I think the best real life of Jesus were to give maybe a modern day parable of the net, he might use... Uh, deadliest catch, right? Don't you think he might use deadliest catch? I think that's probably the most modern day one. And I don't know if you've ever watched the show, but it's a show about, uh, you know, fishermen, and they go out for, uh, you know, Alaskan king crab, and I think snow crab too, uh, because they're on different seasons. And, uh, you know, big bucks right there. And uh, they taste great. Um, But the idea is, right, the guy has the little tool there, And uh, some he's keeping, some he's throwing away. So unless they fit that standard, unless they fit that bar, he's getting rid of them. No use for them. Not worth a whole lot. So, let's talk about a few things that I think we have to talk about we can't ignore, and I've put off long enough. Alright? The fiery furnace. What is that? We just read it. So it says, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. What is that? What are we talking about? Well, uh, Greek word is kaminos. And basically, that is your hell right there. The fiery furnace. And we've even read it before. I don't know if you've seen it before. uh, But if you came uh, on Sunday morning, uh, we've read it, I think in verse 42, early on in chapter 13 and verse 42, it's there again. And it's there in Matthew chapter 6, I think in Matthew chapter 8. It's been all through I've been reading. And, and there's really no shortage of it at all. Now here's the interesting thing uh, about hell. Is that there's really, um, the Bible describes two deaths. Two deaths. And uh, the idea is to only do one. That's the idea. It's two deaths. A physical death. So when we lived out our life, and, or maybe it was cut short. Physical death, and then there is a spiritual death, which is talked about in uh, Revelations uh, chapter 20. We can even turn there. Why don't we turn there? 
So go towards uh, the back of your Bible there. Revelations 20. So it'll be Revelations 20. And here we go. Verse. Yeah, what page is it in the Blue Bible? 78? 878. And we're going to be in verse 11. And you know what? We'll start in verse 7. Because it gives us a better context and idea as far as where things are headed. So if we believe the Bible and you know we accept it in faith, here's what it says. So in verse 7 it says, When the thousand years are over, and, and eventually we'll get to talking about some of that stuff, it says, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. So they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? You can't get past these things. Verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne. So this is the second death I'm talking about. And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. So if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. So we have this fiery furnace going on, and really two deaths. And so the idea is if we're a Christian, and so if I leave here, and I can't make it, you know, two minutes to my house and something, you know, horribly happens. And I go. And that's it. Immediately, immediately, that second, right after, go up to heaven to be with God. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that as soon as you're out of the body, you're with God. Now, let's say, I never professed a faith in Christ. I've heard it. Didn't want to deal with it. Um, never did deal with it. At that point in time, Luke 16 describes for us that there is this fiery lake. And at this fiery lake, and you can read Luke 16 this week to see if I'm lying to you or not. Um, I I try not to do that while I'm up here. But um, in Luke 16, it describes the scenario. And in that scenario, um, you have, uh, which describes this area that has like, uh, basically one side where... Um, is now empty. And then you have like another side uh, where there's like this huge lake of fire. And in between there's this huge space you can't cross over. And there's a story, uh, not a story, and Jesus talks about it like it's actual fact, um, that this person is conscious and he says, you know, listen, send so-and-so over here, a servant that he had in life, send so-and-so over here, you know, have him just dip his finger in there and just cool just this burning because I'm just burning up right here. Um, that's what our hot or cold question was about. Um, so, he says, listen, you know, I can't. There's a great space in between. There's nothing I can do about it. And the guy goes, well, listen, why don't you go back and tell my brothers that are still, you know, alive on earth. Tell them about, 
you know, Jesus and God and the prophets and like, let him know. And the guy says, well, hey, listen, he's got Moses, he's got the prophets. It's going to be up to them to see how they respond. He's like, no, 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 unless somebody goes back from the dead to tell them, they're not going to buy it. We have somebody that came back from the, bed that told, from the dead that told us about it. Now, of course, we have to take that in faith. Like, I personally have not been there, and I can't personally tell you about it. You have not personally been there, you can't. Uh, say personally what it's like. And so that's, you know, a uh, difficult spot for many people. But I believe in faith. And I think the evidence is really kind of stacked that Jesus died and rose again. And he's telling us what it's like. And up until chapter 13, he's saying, listen, please, please, please. Like in math class, the 65, that's the bottom line. you got to have it. He's saying, listen, the bottom line is you got to have Jesus you got to. That's the bottom line. we got to start there. And then we'll talk about the daily living, day to day, after that. So this fiery furnace would be maybe, if I never professed in faith in Christ, never gave my life to Him, always put it off, something happened. I'd be in that lake. Then there'd be the second death. The second death wouldn't pertain to me if I already committed my life to Christ and said, God, you know, I, I take it. The second death is when they call everybody out of that lake, that place where people are. Then there's a second death. And it says from there they open up this book of life. Or maybe they turn on the wheel. St. Pete hit it. Boom. You know, they put up on the, the like movie reel. It's turning. And people are going to come up there saying, like it says in Matthew 7, but like we did stuff in your name and we knew you and like, you know, we went to church and we gave money and we tried and... It's like, man, I had no real place in your life. And that's when the wheel goes on and they're kicking and they're watching it. And, you know, probably for many people, it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 times and just God was around and you just didn't want anything to do with it. So then the second death. And that's where there's also a lot of controversy. There's a pastor in Michigan, church planner, you know, like myself. And uh, in Michigan... Their church grew to about 11,000 people. Huge. And uh, he wrote this book called Love Wins. And um, I don't think it's really a good book, but uh, you want to know like, what people say and how they think. I think there's value in that. And I think it helps you sharpen where you're at. So that's why I try not to surround myself just with everything I agree with. Try and like, hear and be open to what else is going on so I can see like, where does God fit into all this too. And so he wrote this book and, you know, he basically tried to really water down hell like a lot. And what happened is he lost like 3,000 people out of the church. You know, they're out of their church now and, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but it's difficult, not easy stuff and certainly people don't, don't want to talk about it at all. And uh, there's a debate uh, going around that this second death, are people there burning and just suffering forever. What kind of God does that? And so there is a uh, big debate uh, going on about that. And um, certainly in the Word and in the Scriptures, it says that this is an eternal torment. And you look up the passages, and if you do your homework with it, and you read around, read on it, you will see it's an eternal torment. So does that mean like you're actually suffering for eternity or that those fires are always there? The fires are always there. Are people going to suffer forever? It seems like it. 
But I can see certainly where some people, like Seventh-day Adventists, where they, you know, believe that, no, no, you know, God wouldn't do that. You know, I guess after a period of time, after some suffering and second death, God will just annihilate them. You know, I don't know. They, they have some pretty decent reasons, and it's worthwhile to look into. But I'll tell you what, nonetheless, you just don't even want to be there. Like, so to get caught up in those details, I think, doesn't have a whole lot of value. The whole idea is we don't want to be like there with the angels and they're throwing away the good fish and the bad fish. Like, we don't, don't want to be there. And we don't have to be there. So here's the million dollar question, right? How can a good God send people to hell? Right? How can a good God send people to hell? Well, the flip side of that is, how can a good, loving God not send people to hell? So two things. One is, God isn't sending them anywhere. Like, we have the choices for sure. Like, we have a choice. We can make that choice. It's not going to force us. It's totally up to us. Like, that kid in class, he can choose like, to decide to do the work and act like he cares about the class and convince me for that 65. Or he can't. It's totally up to him. And Jesus is also trying to do everything he can to infiltrate, to get in, to just... Do everything possible to get them to make that choice to follow him. And it's not over till it's over. Because that thief on the cross is like, I think you're the real deal. Can you remember me when you get to your kingdom? And Jesus says, You know what? You will be in paradise with me. Right up to the very end for that guy. And so, does that mean, you know, people can just like do whatever they want and then decide to like, you know, make the choice at the end? Well, if you're knowingly doing that, that it's not going to cut it. And only God really knows if somebody is truly repentful at the end. It's a hard choice to make. It's not for us really to make that call at all. So number one, people choose as far as where they want to go. And then of course the other side of that is, well, hey, listen, you know, what is God going to do with like that family, that person, some other country, never heard this, never heard a Bible, never heard about Jesus, a cross, like what are we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. It's not real clear on that. But we can certainly guarantee that he'll be fair. And at the same time, whoever's asking that question, and chances are it's our friends and people we know, they're here in America now. They have the Bible now. We have some stuff to go by. So, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So that's the question. The reason why I don't have that much of an issue with hell is because... I think, like you, I look around and you see, you know, all of the evil like that's out there. Wouldn't it be awesome to know that we could just count on the law, the judges, the court system, to just always get justice right? They catch everybody, they catch everything, hey, and they pay up. That would be awesome. Great. Let's just imagine that does happen. That's amazing. Then, what about like the other people, like the subtle things? You know, the guy that like manipulates his wife and just plays these mind games and just beats her down like emotionally. It's not against the law, right? It's not breaking any laws. But he's certainly being like abusive and not right and not helpful, you know? Or a person doing that to a child or like certain underhand things that people try and do to control and manipulate and dominate other people. It's not against the law. 
depending on how far they go and knowing what they do. I want them to pay for that too, because that's not right. That's not right. So do I have a problem with a loving God creating a place where those people have to go? Not really. Not really. Don't really have much of a problem with it. Because I'll tell you what, if it's my son or my daughter and somebody's playing games like that and doing stuff like that, Am I not a loving person then, you know, if I do that? You know, should I just... Is, is the Christian message, just love them and just be okay with that, you know, and just forgive them, brother. You know, heck no. If I found out about it, you know, I would protect them, you know, remove them from that situation and get that out of there, you know. Um, says love always protects, always takes care of. That's what it says in First Corinthians. We hear that at weddings all the time. So I think because of that love and goodness, you know, injustice has to be dealt with. And how can you deal with like the injustices that just go supposedly under the radar? Things that are happening. It's not right. Or then you go to like another country like in Africa and Sierra Leone, you know, and it's just whatever goes, goes. Who's ever got the most guns, you make the rules. Ah, same right either. So, the other million dollar question. How will the angels tell the good fish from the bad fish? Because it says the angels are going to be the ones that do the picking. Obviously under the direction of God. And in verse 42, uh, 42 the wheat and the weeds, it says that the angels will be the one cutting it all up, bailing up the good ones, putting it in the barn, getting up the not good ones, and throwing that in the fire. So the angels are doing like this separating and sorting. Just as a quick side note, because I have ADD a little bit. So Jaren is like a master separator and sorter. And so just as like I read this stuff and go through it, like that kid would just take like a container just full of crap, and according to his organizational skills, he takes one, put that over there, put that over there, put that over there, put them all back again, put that over there, put that over there. It's just like... It's amazing, you know, and the angel is going to like be doing like this sorting thing. The good fish from the bad fish. So here's the deal, right? It's basically going to be all about sin. That's the issue. Good, bad, how do you define it? The issue is sin. And no matter like how many good things we can do, how do you ever get rid of that? It's only through Jesus himself and just accepting that. And so in Romans 10.9, here's what it says. In Romans 10.9, this is easy. This is the easy part if we want to know which lump we'd get thrown into. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Done. That's the easy part. Like we just... Like, what? Like, the kids at school, they got to work for that 65. Like, they got to earn that thing. They got to hang out with Mr. Murphy after school. They got to deal with Mr. Murphy when he's, like, not so nice in the classroom. Like, you know, they got to do that stuff. But we declare with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, I believe in you. I'm giving my life to you. And believe in your heart, you raise him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. And when it says you believe in your heart, 
the idea is that you actually believe it, and then things start to happen and change in your life based on that decision. That's it right there. Who's in the good, who's in the bad pile? Well, it's really easy to know and make it certain within ourselves to make sure we're hanging out in the barn or we got thrown with the good fish, whatever the kinds of fish they are. Because the fact of the matter is, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Right? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. So, our perspective. So, you know, the idea is like, what does like a net and all this stuff have to do? I, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, our perspective on eternity is certainly going to influence like what we do today. So whatever we think about eternity and how all that will play out, that's going to influence what I do today. So if I have eternity sort of at the forefront of my mind, and when I think about my life and the choices I'm going to make, that's going to affect all of a sudden like what I'm going to do and who I'm going to talk to and where I'm really going to spend my time and where I'm going to spend my money. Like That's just, just going with it. If I'm sort of uncertain about that, the decisions I make will probably show that I'm kind of uncertain about that. And if I don't buy it at all, well, certainly, my decisions would show that too. So you can see, this is not always like the easiest thing to talk about or bring up. But it's needed. Like it has to be. I was reading a, a quote from a, a pastor this week, and uh, the article was about you know pastors and churches you know that that talk about you know hell and eternity, and, and just look at it and break it down just even a little bit. I mean, not spend you know six months and just beating people down and making them feel horrible because that's not right either. But at least, hey, listen, let's bring it to their attention and let people know. And one of the pastors is like, well, you know, that's just not a good tactic, you know, to to let people know about. And, I don't think that's really that safe. Like, man, it's not a tactic, man. Like, we're called to, like, just the whole council. Like, we're called to bring the whole council. So when Paul the Apostle was basically at the end of his road, he said, you know what? I gave everybody the whole council of God. I never sugarcoated anything. I told him exactly what I was supposed to tell him. I'm okay with that. God, where are we going next? You know, that's what we have to be able to do at church. So... You know, going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, joy to the world. And then we're talking about hell. It's like, God, come on. Like, what, the timing on that is just not that great. But, uh, you know, the rest of that song, you know, and there's other songs, you know, that seeing Him as a Savior. Like, not just cute little baby Jesus, but Savior? Savior. Christmas means, like, something else in that case. It means something else. Um... So, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, we're going to play one last song. We're going to do uh, How Deep the Father's Love. Because I think that like portrays really well how much God loves us. It's so nice to be refreshed of that. Because on the other side, if you're Satan, you're like, no, no, no. He doesn't really love you. He wants to make your life difficult. He wants to add more rules and regulations. And then he set up this place where people are going to burn forever. No, that's not God. That's not the right God. So we need to spend time with God and like figure out who He is and spend time meditating like on how much He loves us. So uh, let's stand, we'll sing that, and then we'll close in prayer together.